Chapter 3 of The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Andy Frazier. The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna by Herbert Carter. Chapter 3 When Bumpus Climbed Over the Fence. A brief silence followed these words of the patrol leader. Then the boys were seen to nod their heads knowingly. It was evident that, once they had their suspicions aroused by Thad, every fellow could see what a dreadful mistake had been made. "'Well, I should say now that Wandering George was half a foot taller than either of these fellows,' declared Bumpus, being the first to control his tongue, which was something remarkable since, as a rule, he was as slow of speech as he was with regards to moving on account of his weight. "'And red hair in the bargain,' said Step Hen. "'Oh, everybody's doing it now,' mocked Davy Jones. "'And I can see that there ain't the first sign of an old faded blue army coat anywhere round this camp.' "'After all, who cares?' exclaimed Giraffe, as he lowered his threatening gun, an act that doubtless gave the two tramps much solid satisfaction." All of us felt mean and sore because our fine tracking game had come to such a sudden end. Now there's still a chance we'll meet up with a few crackerjack adventures before we pick the prize. I say bully all round. Davy Jones immediately threw himself into an acrobatic position and waved both of his feet wildly in the air as though he felt the situation might be beyond weak words and called for something stronger in order to express his exuberant feelings. "'Yes, all of those things would make enough to convince us we've made a mistake,' remarked Thad. "'And if we want any further proof, here it is, right before us.' He pointed to the ground as he spoke. There were a number of footprints in the half-dried mud close to the border of the road, evidently made by the two men as they walked back and forth, collecting dead wood for their cooking fire. "'You're right, Thad,' commented Alan Hollister, who of course instantly saw what the other meant when he pointed that way. We settled it long ago that we ought to know Wandering George any time we came up with him, simply because he's got a rag tied around his right shoe to keep it on his foot. It's that old and going to flinders. Neither of these men has the need to do that. In fact, if you notice, they've got shoes on that look nearly new. At that, one of the tramps hastened to speak, as though he began to fear that it was so remarkable a thing for a road roamer to be wearing good footgear that they were liable to arrest as having stolen the same. "'Say, we done a turn for a cobbler two days back, over in Hooptown, and he gives us the shoes. Said he'd fix them for customers what didn't come back and pay the charges, didn't we, Smikes?' "'We told him his barn was on fire, sure we did.' and helped him throw water on it, and keep the thing from burning down. He gives us a hunky dinner, and throws into trilbys for good measure. But they hurts us bad, and we was just saying, we wishes we had the old uns back again. If it wasn't so cold, we'd take em off right now and go barefooted, wouldn't we, Jake? Oh well, it doesn't matter to us where you got the shoes, said Thad. We happened to be looking for another man, and thought one of you might be him. So go on with your cooking, and, Giraffe, where's that knuckle of ham you said you hated to lug any further, but which you thought it a sin to throw away? Perhaps we might hand the same over to Smikes and Jake, to pay up for having given them such a bad scare. 
This caused the two tramps to grin in anxious anticipation, and when Giraffe only too willingly extracted the said remnants of half-ham which the scouts had started with, they eagerly seized upon it. "'It's all right, young fellows,' remarked the one who had been called Smikes as he clutched the prize. "'We ain't a-caring if we gets the same kind of a skier boot once a day, regular like. Hey, Jake, talk to me about dinner raining down from the clouds. This beats my time, holler. Come again, boys, and do it some more.' Thad knew it was a folly to stay any longer at the camp, but before leaving he wished to put a question to the men. "'We're looking for a fellow who calls himself Wandering George,' he went on to say. "'Just now he's wearing an old faded blue army coat "'that was given to him by a lady who didn't know that her husband valued it as a keepsake. "'So we just offered to find it for him and give George a dollar or so to make up. "'Have either of you seen a man wearing a blue coat like that?' "'Nixty, mister,' replied Jake promptly. "'Say, I used to wear an overcoat like them when I was marching for old Uncle Sam in the Spanish War. "'Fool that I was! "'But honest to goodness, now I ain't set eyes on the like this three years and more,' the second tramp asserted. "'That settles it, then, fellows,' ejaculated Step Hen, with a note of joy in his voice. "'We've got to go on further and run our quarry down. "'And let me tell you, I'm tickled nearly to death because it's turned out so.' "'Who be you boys, anyhow?' asked Smikes. "'Air ye what we hear's called scouts?' "'Just what we are,' replied Alan. "'That's why we think it's so much fun to follow this wandering George "'and trade him a big silver dollar for the old coat the lady gave him "'when she saw he made out to be so cold. "'Scouts are crazy to do all kinds of things like that, you know.' "'Well, do tell,' muttered the tramp, shaking his head. "'I don't get on to the trick, for a fact.' If twere me now, I'd rather be a-sittin' in a warm room waitin' to hear the dinner-horn blow. Oh, we all like to hear that, let me tell you, asserted Giraffe, who was unusually fond of eating. But we're tired of home cooking, and things taste so fine when you're in camp. Huh? Maybe so, when you got plenty of the right kind of stuff along, observed the man who gripped the ham-bone that Giraffe had tossed to him. But you'd think a heap different, let me tell you. If any of this lot knowed what it meant to be as hungry as a wolf, and nothing to satisfy it with. But then, there seems to be all kinds of people in this whole world, and they just can't understand each other nowadays. Thad saw that the tramp was rather a queer customer, and something along the order of a hobo philosopher, but he had no more time than to just stand and talk with him out of idle curiosity. So he gave the order, and the scouts, wheeling round, strode out upon the road, their faces set towards the east. The last they saw of the two tramps was just before turning a bend in the road. They looked back and saw that the men were apparently hard at work, dividing the remnants of the ham that had been turned over by the boys as some sort of solace to soothe their wounded feelings. Half a mile further on, and the woods gave place to cultivated fields and pastures, although, of course, it was too early in the season for much work to be done by the farmers, except where they were hauling fertiliser to make ready for the first ploughing. "'If we get the chance, boys, tonight, let's sleep in the barn,' suggested Giraffe, as he rubbed his right shank as though it might still pain him. 
Where we lay last night, it seemed to me a million roots and stones kept pushing into my body till I was black and blue this morning, and I always did like to nestle down in good sweet hay. I don't blame those tramps for taking every opportunity that opens. What do the rest of you say? It strikes me favourably, Step Hen quickly admitted. Oh, any old place is good enough for me, sighed Bumpus. If you can only be sure there are no rats around, I believe I'd enjoy sleeping in the haymow, Davy told them. I've never had the experience, remarked Smithy with a shrug of his shoulders and a grimace, and I must confess I don't hanker much for it. Bad enough to have to roll up in your own blanket any old time, but spiders and hornets and all that horrible set are to be found in haylofts, they tell me. I'm more afraid of them than an alligator or a wild bull. A gypsy once told me I would die from poison bites, and ever since then I had to be mighty careful. Of course, the rest of the scouts had to laugh to hear Smithy confess that he believed in the prophecy of a gypsy or any other fake fortune-teller. "'I wouldn't lie awake a minute,' ventured Step Hen, "'if a dozen gypsies told me I was going to break my neck falling out of bed. Fact is, I'm built so contrary that, like as not, I'd hunt up the highest bed I could find to sleep on. I do everything on Friday I can think of, and when the thirteenth of the month comes round I'm always looking to see how I can tempt fate.' Ain't an ounce of superstition in my whole body, I guess, fortune tellers. Pah! You ought to have been a girl, Smithy. Oh, well, I didn't say I believed I'd die by poison, did I? demanded the other adroitly. I'm only explaining that I don't mean to let the silly prophecy come true by taking hazards that are quite unnecessary. Seems to me we've been walking like hot cakes ever since we said good-bye to Smikes and Jake, observed Bumpus, who was puffing a little from his exertions. And Thad, would you mind if we took a little breathing spell about now? Just see how inviting this pile of old fence rails looks alongside the road. I hope you say yes, Thad, because I want to get fit to keep on going till the dark comes along. No objections to favouring you, Bumpus, Thad told him. And if looks count for anything, I'd rather think the rest of us would be glad of the chance to rest up a little. So drop down and take things easy, boys. I'll give you ten minutes here. Look sharp before you sit down, warned Smithy, who had disengaged his blanket, as though meaning to use it for a soft cushion. Time was when he invariably brushed a board or any other intended resting place with his handkerchief before sitting down but the other scouts had long ago laughed him out of this habit, which jarred upon their nerves as hardly consistent with the rough-and-ready scout life. Giraffe had a most remarkable pair of eyes. He often discovered things that no one else had any suspicion existed. On this account, as well as the fact that he was able to see further and more accurately than his chums, he was sometimes designated as Old Eagle Eye, and the employment of that name invariably gave him more or less pleasure, since it proclaimed his superiority in the line of observation. Giraffe was also a great hand for practical jokes. When some idea flashed into his mind, he would often give little heed to the possible result, but immediately felt impelled to put this scheme into practice, with the sole idea of creating a laugh, of course, with another scout as the victim. They had hardly been sitting for five minutes when Giraffe might have been heard chuckling softly to himself, though no one seemed to pay any particular attention to him. He elevated that long neck of his once or twice, as if desirous of making sure concerning a point before going any further. Then, when satisfied on this score, he glanced from one to the other of his companions, evidently seeking a victim. 
when his gaze, after going along the entire line, returned once more to plump, good-natured Bumpus, who now had ceased puffing and was looking rested. It might be set down as certain that there was trouble of some sort in store for the red-haired, freckle-faced scout. Now Giraffe was a sharp schemer. He knew how to go about his business in a way least calculated to arouse suspicion. Instead of immediately blurting out what he had on his mind, he started to beating around the bush, seeking to first disarm his intended victim by drawing him into a little discussion. Before another full minute had passed, Thad noticed that Giraffe and Bumpus were warmly discussing some matter, and the stout scout seemed to be unusually in earnest. Doubtless this was on the account of the sly assertions which Giraffe inflicted upon him, the tall scout being a past master when it came to giving little digs that hurt worse than pins to thrust into one's flesh. "'I tell you, I can do it!' Bumpus was heard to say stubbornly. "'Don't believe you've ever come within a mile of making it, and that goes, Bumpus.' Giraffe went on as though he might be a doubting Thomas who could only be convinced by actual contact. And tell you what I'll do to prove I'm in earnest. If you make it in three trials, straddling the limb while my watch is counting a whole minute, I'll hand over that fine compass you always liked so much. How's that, Bumpus? Are you game to show us, or have I dared you to a standstill? What, me? Back down for a little thing like that? Will you just watch me make you eat your words, giraffe? Saying that, the fat scout clambered over the rail fence and dropped into the open pasture belong. "'What's he going to do?' asked Thad, as they saw Bumpus start on a waddling sort of gait towards a tree that stood by itself some little distance from the fence, with a clump of bushes not far away. He looked a little suspiciously at Giraffe, who immediately stopped his chuckling and tried to draw a solemn face, though he shut one eye in a humorous fashion. Why, he started to boast that he'd been doing some fine climbing lately, explained the tall scout, and I dared him to go over and get up that tree while I held the watch on him, and he's got to start climbing and make it inside of sixty seconds, and between you and me, Thad, I reckon now he might manage it in half that time, if hard pushed. You've got some sort of game started, giraffe. What is it? asked the patrol leader as he turned again and watched the portly scout moving like a ponderous machine towards the tree which Giraffe had mentioned as part of the contract. Giraffe did not need to answer, for at that very second there came what seemed to be a loud bellow of rage from over in the field somewhere. Looking hastily through the bars of the fence, the seven boys saw a spectacle that thrilled them with various emotions. From out of the sheltering bushes, where those keen roving eyes of Giraffe must have discovered her presence, came a dun-coloured cow. Possibly her calf had recently been taken from her by the butcher, for she was furious towards all humankind. Her tail was held in the air, and as she ran straight towards poor Bumpus, she stopped for a moment several times to toss a cloud of earth up with her hooves, for she had no horns, Thad noted, which was at least one thing favouring Bumpus. End of chapter 3